please, please bear with me. I got a little bit of a, a sore throat and uh, a little bit of a cold. Um, you remember those? You remember those colds that we used to get, just the regular old run-of-the-mill colds? So I, I got a little bit of a cold here, so I, but I'm feeling fine enough to, to come here and share God's Word with you this morning. Uh, but I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And our scripture reading this morning will be Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. We, uh, if you were here last week, you will remember we went through all of Matthew's genealogy, which is verses 1 through 17. And this morning we're going to continue Matthew's story with the announcement of the birth of uh, Jesus to Joseph. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which reads this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. God, we uh, have heard your word. We ask, God, you would in this, these moments as we reflect on it. That you would uh, speak to us through this. That you would help us to, as we read earlier and sang earlier, that you would cause us to turn our eyes to Jesus. And help us to understand more about who he is and what he has done for us and how he is truly is worthy of all our praise. So God, thank you for this passage that we have read. And now in these moments, God, that you would, um, uh, you would help us to understand and that may uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So, and if you're visiting with us here, glad you're here this morning. Uh, many years ago, I would, uh, I would often do teachings on the dry erase board. Can people, can everyone see this? Okay, right from here. Okay. And so I pulled this out last week and there was a lot of excitement 
for people who've been here before, and I haven't done this in a while, so there was a great deal of excitement. As a matter of fact, um, John was not here. Rachel was here. Rachel was here. And so she took a picture of uh, me drawing on the board to send to John. And um, I'm in kind of a crouch. I don't know what am I doing there. Um, and John replied back immediately with this. <laughs> so, which is pretty accurate to what we were covering last week. Uh, so, uh, and that's what we learned about last week. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. We see in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus comes. He is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham through whom there was going to be a people, God's people in God's place, and that there was going to be a king over these people. And it was going to come from his own body. That promise of a king came all the way back to, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and through Judah. And that Jesus is also the fulfillment of God's covenant with David. When God made a promise to David that he would have a son sit on the throne forever and ever. So we looked at the royal lineage of Jesus last week. Now we just get the announcement here of his of his birth. And there's two key things Two key names we're going to see here about Jesus that I think are very important that will guide uh, much of our time. And that's our two points for this morning. There will be just two points, and it's going to be the names, the key names to help us identify Jesus this morning. And the first of those names is Jesus, right? So we see this at the very beginning, Jesus. Which is uh, comes from the Hebrew um, Yeshua, or sometimes it has an H on the end. Yeshua. Let me hear you say Yeshua. Yeshua. Okay, Yeshua. This means Yahweh or the Lord saves. It's kind of a variation of uh, off of the the name Joshua uh, in the Old Testament. Yeshua, the Lord saves and that's uh we get that from the very beginning of this birth story there's a man named joseph who we are introduced to uh in verse 16 remember in the genealogy at jacob the father of joseph the husband of mary so joseph is actually a descendant of david he's a descendant of abraham through isaac through jacob and through judah okay we saw that in verse verse 2 so this is Joseph, the husband of Mary, and he's a uh, husband of Mary. He's engaged to a woman, Mary, and we're going to learn more about Mary in the coming weeks here. And engagement was uh, was almost uh, it was almost as as binding as a divorce. As a matter of fact, if you broke off the engagement, it was like a, like a divorce, which is why it says when Joseph he, hears this news that Mary is pregnant. That he has in mind, because out of his love and honor and respect for her, he doesn't want to cause shame to her, so he resolves to divorce her quietly, right? But it's at this moment when the angel of the Lord appears. Verse 20, he's considering these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, right? Reminder of 
what his lineage is. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is God's doing, Joseph. This is God, the Holy Spirit's work here. And it may be difficult to understand what's going on, but God is doing something. And as a matter of fact, he doesn't, the angel doesn't just bring the news that a baby is coming. He doesn't just bring the news that this baby is of miraculous divine birth. He even goes so far as to say, and the name has already been picked out for him. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is describing Jesus's role right at the outset. There's many purpose statements for Jesus uh, throughout the Gospels, right? The Son of Man did not come to, um, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or like Paul writes in Galatians uh, chapter 4, that at the, the right time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law. There's lots of titles and designations, but Jesus, the name Jesus should be as sweet and precious to us because of what that name means. The, the God-given name, the angel-announced name, Yeshua, you should call his name Yeshua, because Yahweh saves his people from their sins. He saves us from the penalty and the guilt of our sin by washing believers in his atoning blood. He saves us from the power or dominion of sin in our lives. Because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us as to purify us, to purify all those who would trust in him. And he will one day save us from the presence of sin forever when he comes to deliver his people. Those are the blessings that we receive through faith in this man who was announced as a baby to Joseph. That's a very encouraging name to heavy laden, sin laden, burden, burden sinners. That Jesus, the King of Kings. Could have had a much larger, more exalted title when he came. And indeed, he does get that eventually as king of kings and lord of lords. But here he's announced as Yahweh saves to his people. That's the first name. The second name comes in the next verses, verse 22. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the first half of that. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. So it's not a happenstance. It's not a crazy circumstance, crazy situation. This was according to the plan of God all along. 
The, pof- the prophet that Matthew speaks of here is the prophet Isaiah. And so I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. It's in the Old Testament, kind of in the latter half, right of the Psalms, Isaiah chapter 7. Now, kids, if you've got your papers out and you want to do some drawing, I encourage you to do some drawing. Try to see if you could draw the similar things I'm going to be drawing up here on the board. I'm going to give you a little bit of the setting that's taking place here. Okay? So we're going to start with this kind of big circle here. Okay? This is the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? Ned Sea. And so Israel, the land of Israel is like right here. That's kind of like right in this area. Now remember, David was king over all of this whole area, and then he dies and he goes to Solomon. And so he had one united kingdom of all the 12 tribes right there in that area. And then eventually, after Solomon, the kingdom kind of splits in two. And so there's a northern half. So I'm going to do north over here and south over here. Okay? The northern half we will call Israel. And I'm going to give you another name here. Put it in brackets. Ephraim. Ephraim. And the capital is a city here. You don't have to write this down, but I'll put Samaria. A a, a new city right there, Samaria. Now, on the south is Judah, right? And then this capital is right here, Jerusalem. Kids, how are your drawings going? Good so far? Adults, how's your drawings going? Pretty good so far? <laughs> All right, so now let me give you uh, let me give you some uh, let me give you the bad guy. I'll put him here in orange, okay? So here's a guy. That guy, and he's got a crown on, okay? This guy is Pekah. Let me hear you say Pekah. Okay, and here's a good guy. He's king over northern Israel at this time. And then here's a good king. Well, not really good. I mean, he's part of the southern kingdom, but he's he's actually kind of a, a faithless and, and kind of wicked king. Um, and this here is uh, Ahaz. Okay? So, Pekah and Ahaz. Now, let me give you the dates. You want the dates here? Let me give you some dates. This is a roughly 735 to 732 B.C., okay? So, several, many centuries before Jesus, but uh, several hundred years after David had died, Solomon had died, and the kingdom had um, divided into two. So let me tell you a little bit of the story here, okay? Um, this northern king, Pekah, forms an alliance with um, another country, Syria, which is kind of over here, north and this direction of it. And so he wants to get together with Syria, and he wants to come down here and conquer Jerusalem. 
So he's thinking, you know what? If, if we join forces, we could go down there and we could actually take Jerusalem. Then we could kind of take control over this entire area here. Now, if you're Ahaz and you get news about this, two kingdoms kind of coming together and they're planning on coming uh, to attack you, how would you feel? Scared, right? Kids, how would you feel? Nervous? A little worried? Huh? Brave? Good man. You would have been a righteous king, right? Okay, so this is what, this is uh, this kind of the setting that's taking place right here. But at, at this point that the prophet Isaiah is sent by the Lord, he has a message for Ahaz. But by the way, Ahaz is sitting here thinking, you know what? What we could do is we could try to form an alliance with an even bigger kingdom that's way, way farther away. Um, and that is Assyria. And maybe we, maybe we, if we join an alliance with these guys... Then we can kind of, they can help us fortify Jerusalem. Then we can kind of be in agreement together. And we might have to give them some money to kind of smooth things over. But then they can help us to offset this whole thing here. Now, why is that a bad idea? If you're the king of Israel, you're the king of Judah in Jerusalem. Why is that a bad idea? Series of pagan nation. You'd be making, you'd be kind of allying yourself with them. And didn't the Lord God promise to be with you and protect you and keep you? Exactly. So here's the setting this up of where, what, uh, what is happening here in Isaiah chapter 7. God sent the prophet Isaiah to, to assure King Ahaz in green of God's deliverance. He wanted Ahaz to know that his enemy's plans would not come to pass. Let's start in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham and the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Those names should sound familiar, right? We read those in Matthew's genealogy, Matthew chapter 1. Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David, this is here, remember house of David is, Referring to Ahaz's house in Jerusalem. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Okay, here's the other name. Ephraim. Syria and Israel have formed an alliance. They're in league together. When Ahaz heard that, it says, uh, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Yashub, your son. Okay. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field and say to him, be careful, be quiet. Ahaz, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two. And I love this description. The Lord that like kind of names the Lord causes calls these other people. Don't don't be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Okay, so if any anybody picks on you kids in the neighborhood, you go that you're just a smoldering stump of a firebrand. See, there will be enough confusion maybe that they'll you could escape or something. Two smoldering stumps of firebrands. He also tells him, don't be, don't be 
faint at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Why? Because, verse 5, Syria with Ephraim and the sons of Remaliah, that's, that's Pekah, he's referring to that King Pekah, has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah, at, which is the southern kingdom, and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up a son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass. Their plan is not going to work. He continues. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, who does, who does Pekah think he is? The king of God's chosen people, he doesn't rule in Samaria. First Kings has told us there was a promise given to, to, uh, to Solomon that there will be a king and that king will come uh, for the sake of David. Your servant will rule in Jerusalem and it has to be in Jerusalem. Pekah may have descended from David, but he doesn't have a rightful heir to the throne. So the Lord wants to assure Ahaz, hey, this is just not going to happen. He wants to discourage Ahaz from, from doing an unholy alliance with another foreign nation. And so... Uh, this is a good message for, for all of us. Kids, don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in horses. Trust in the name of the Lord God. This is the message that Isaiah, the Lord gives through Isaiah, but he continues. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, which is the grave where, where, where people would be buried. For as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ask for a sign, he says. But Ahaz says, I will not ask uh, for a sign. I will not put the Lord to the test. To this, Isaiah gets a little frustrated. And Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men? You've got a weary God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord says, ask for a sign. He goes, I don't want to presume. Well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway, he says. And it's going to be a big sign, right? Because when he, God had offered him to choose the sign, he goes, make it as big as you can. From heaven to the grave, pick a sign. He says, no. He goes, okay, I'm going to pick a sign for you. And it's going to be huge. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land 
whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house. Such days have not uh, come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Okay. God has offered a sign through Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, 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 Ahaz refuses. Isaiah gets frustrated. God gives him the sign anyway. And here's the sign. He goes, you're going to have a young woman of marriable age. And here's the, here's the Hebrew word here. Alma. Alma. Okay. That's the Hebrew word. It's young, kind of a young woman of marriable age. And so here is the sign that he's giving. There's going to be a young woman of marriable age who's going to have a, uh, have a son. And until that son gets to approximately 12 or 13 years old, which is kind of the, the term for knowing right from wrong, kind of being accountable for those things, right around 12 or 13 years old, that they, these, two, these two nations, these two kings will actually be gone. So, young woman, have a child. Now, there's two things I want you to notice, okay? Let me put this in red. There's, there's a near, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment here, okay? The thing near and far. The near fulfillment is, hey, in about 12 or 13 years, those kids or those two kings, they're going to be, they're going to be removed, Okay, this is this is the near one, a young woman of marriable age, because that's what the Hebrew word there means, will get married, get pregnant, have a boy. The boy reaches about 12 or 13 years old. Then the northern kingdom of Israel referred to Ephraim is here that main uh, after the main northern tribe um, will be destroyed and conquered. So 12, roughly 12, 13 years from here in this range, roughly. Young woman, marriable age, get married, have a baby. The time uh, the baby will be 13 years old. Those kings that are threatening you will be wiped out. In other words, he's giving a time frame here. This is a, a prophecy. It's a word from the Lord. And he's saying, I'm going to give you a time frame. Don't you need to fear about their plans? Because as a matter of fact, those two kings, a decade or more, they're going to be gone. That's the message right there. But there's also a far fulfillment here, too. There's a there's a further uh, like this applies to Ahaz in his situation. But it also looks beyond that because embedded in that message is a key about the promise of David's son who's going to reign on the throne forever. And this is hinted at. Remember, in verse 11, ask a sign, let it be as deep as shale or as high as heaven. It's a big sign. This far fulfillment is what Matthew is pointing us to. So back to Matthew chapter chapter one. All of this, everything that happened with Joseph, the coming of the angel, the Mary being uh, being pregnant. Though not in the normal means of which pregnancy would occur. And the angel coming to announce this, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he cites that verse, verse 14 in Isaiah chapter 7. Now, Matthew is quoting word for word 
from the Greek translation of the, the Old Testament. Now, it uses a different word. Excuse me. It uses a different word because this would have been Hebrew. But Matthew is writing in Greek. And so he writes, he uses the word parthenos. Let me hear you say parthenos. Parthenos. Now, here's the thing. While the Hebrew word alma can mean a young woman of marriable age and implies virginity. Here's the thing. Matthew's quote, the use of that Greek word specifically and precisely means virginity. There's there is some ambiguity here. It could mean, you know, it's implied virginity. It just means a young woman of marriable age who isn't married. But Matthew's Greek word that he's using has to mean that. There is no ambiguity. It specifically and precisely means that. So Matthew, going through and looking at Isaiah, sees what's what he's writing here is what the Christians believe. They see what happens to Mary and they realize this is what the Holy Spirit was referring to back in Isaiah chapter 7. What happened to Mary with this miraculous conceiving of the Holy Spirit, not from Joseph, is the fulfillment of the far prediction here. All of this took place to fulfill what Isaiah said. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isn't that amazing? And so this is the second name we get. So the first name was Jesus. Here's the second name. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Coming right from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So they look at what happened to, to Mary. They see this is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 7. And then therefore the promise that's in Isaiah chapter 7 connected with that verse. It now applies to Jesus and is a name for Jesus. The sign that the virgin would conceive and bear a child and would be called Emmanuel, God with us. There's two parts to, to this. The words God with us comes as a comfort to God's people. Right? And that's what it meant in the original context. Ahaz, don't fear, have faith. Because God is with us. You don't need to make an alliance with Assyria when God is with us. It's a comfort. The assurance that the forces of men cannot triumph against you. So too here, it takes on a similar meaning. The name Emmanuel given to the son born of a virgin is to be, is, was like a watchword for God's people then. It's a word of hope. No matter how desperate situations could become, no matter how desperate the condition is, the forces of man cannot triumph because God is with 
us. This also indicates a little bit here that the one born of the virgin is not merely a man. But that he is also God in the flesh. God's presence in the Old Testament was often symbolized through the tabernacle and the temple, a physical structure. Like God had said, in making this structure to Moses and for the people, he says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. The presence and God's dwelling go together. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Well, John's gospel says something quite similar to this. In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and the word was God. A few verses later, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Jesus is God with us. God with us in human flesh. So let me read here to you a a segment here from J.C. Ryle. Here are these two wonderful points about the name of Jesus, our Savior, and also his presence with us as God with us. Jesus, both his his humanity, but also his deity. J.C. Ryle writes this. Let us take care that we have clear views on the Lord Jesus Christ's nature and person. It is a point of the deepest importance. We should settle it firmly in our minds that our Savior is perfect man as well as perfect God and perfect God as well as perfect man. Would you have a strong faith, the strong foundation for your faith and hope? Then keep in constant view your Savior's divinity. He in whose blood you are taught to trust is the Almighty God. All power is His in heaven and earth. None can pluck you out of His hand. If you are a true believer in Jesus, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled or afraid. And would you have a sweet comfort in suffering and in trial? Then keep in constant view your Savior's humanity. He is the man, Jesus Christ. Who lay on the bosom of the Virgin Mary as a little infant. And knows the heart of a man. What a picture, right? He can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He has himself experienced Satan's temptations. He has endured hunger. He has shed tears. He has felt pain. Trust him at all times 
with all your sorrows. He will not despise you. Pour out all your heart before him in prayer and keep nothing back. He can sympathize with his people. What wonderful words. Keep in constant view your Savior's divinity. But also keep in constant view your Savior's humanity. So here then we have in this story the arrival of Jesus. And we have here a wonderful gospel. Glad tidings of great joy indeed. Seen in these two names. Proper names specific to understanding his nature and what he has done. Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And Emmanuel. God is with us. What's in the name? For, for Jesus. In his name is the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful to you for your wonderful word. And we thank you for how all of these pages spanning well over a thousand years all speak to one story. Your promise to redeem your people through your son. Your son, Jesus, who will save us from our sins. Through what he has accomplished on the cross. And your son, Jesus, who is also Emmanuel. He is God with us. Lord God, help us to take to heart. These wonderful truths. And cause us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Our Savior. And our Emmanuel. It's in his mighty name that we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. And amen. Friends, would you stand for our closing benediction this morning? And a reminder, as always, if you, you know, if you have some questions or uh, I'd love to talk with you up here, if you have some things that you would like to, to pray for, I'd love to uh, pray with you. Um, and also a reminder, the offering box is on the table uh, out back. And um, so now let's hear this, these words of our closing benediction as we, as we leave this morning. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit be with you as you go. Thank you.